With me today, my guest is a personal friend of mine, Amanda Anderson. I do not know a person that works harder than her. She is currently a resident of Key West, Florida. She wears many, many hats. And the reason I wanted to chat with her today is because she is a, a budding stand-up comic. She has taken that, that plunge, that first step to do uh, stand-up comedy right now all over Key West and maybe in the future all over the country or over the world. Amanda, thank you for being with me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Steve. Great to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. Renaissance woman, Amanda Anderson. Yes. That is quite quite the introduction, although I have no plans to leave Key West and go on tour, but I do appreciate the the note there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess if I lived in Key West, I would have no plans to leave either. Exactly. It is pretty wonderful. How how official of a of a comedian are you? Now, I've seen – I have not seen your shows. I know you've sent me some links that I've, I've, I've been mm-hmm. able to you know, watch or, or, or see uh, you know, hear audio of. But I, mm-hmm. I see pictures of you on, on Instagram and social media and Facebook of, you know, special guest Amanda Anderson joining the show and tonight. I, so yes. you, you must be kind of a big deal. I mean, I'm some kind of a deal. Yeah. I don't know how big okay. I am. You know, I don't know. You're but a moderate deal. I'm a moderate deal. Uh, I'm somewhat of a size deal. Okay. I'm, people know who I am generally. Um, some people say that I'm I'm unforgettable, which I think is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but I've been doing stand-up comedy when I relocated back to Key West, decided to come back to Key West full-time 2016, which I'm so grateful I did. And I, I got started doing comedy at that time here in Key West. They opened up a comedy club, which was new here to the island. And I just I just got started doing that. Now, so you had done improv. Yes, and I, I did improv. Mm-hmm. I remember you telling me that you were going to improv you know, once a week or once every two weeks. You had your, your improv, your, your troupe. So I got started doing improv because I read Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And I highly recommend that book. It is amazing. It changed my life in so many ways. I cannot really describe the impacts that that book has had on my life other than I highly recommend it. And it's a friend who is also a creative kind of thrust it into my hand, so to speak, at a low point in my life and was basically forced me to read it. He's like, do this. I'm not talking to you again until you read this. So I did. And she's got like a eight week or so program of exercises to do to kind of get to the core of the your creativity and there's a lot of healing involved in that too and one of the exercises was to have an artist date with yourself to do something creative whether it be going to a museum or you know going to a craft store or something to kind of just allow yourself to play essentially and so I decided I was going to do improv as my artist date to myself so I signed up for some classes and committed to that it was so much fun because it's a dedicated time and I you know you preface the intro that I'm one of the hardest working people you've ever met which is I take that as a compliment, and I think that is true. With that being said, it one of my challenges or opportunities for growth are to um, take time to unwind or unplug and just be present and not work, quote unquote. So that was improv did that for me. It was a dedicated hour, hour and a half, however long the class was of just being in the present moment and playing. And we would do improv games, and they kind of teach you different tools of how to do improv. But what I liked about it the most is that it forces you to be in the here and now and to be present. You know, you're not on your phone, you're, you know, you're engaged with everyone in the scene and you make mistakes, but that's part of the process and you kind of get more comfortable, you know, forces you to be present and be here now, which some people say is part of the, part of the answer, you know, Ram Dass, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When you, uh, when you went to your first improv 
you, you walk in first time, what what happens? Take me through what you're feeling, you know, what your anxiety is or maybe no anxiety, who's who it introduces um, them. How do you get I, started? I, yeah, so I mean, I went to they had like a I think they had like a free thing to like try it or something and then like after you do the free thing then you could like sign up to take a class or whatever so I think that that was my first intro so I just did the event bright and just went and you know I I don't really remember being really nervous I just kind of remember I wanted to make that commitment to myself to do the artist state so I was just like I'm like whatever it is I was committed and I was gonna try it and how long after that did you first think about doing stand-up I left Austin in like 2015 or so and then I started thinking about doing stand-up early 2016 and I had I took a I took a job after another job which was you know I worked for this woman for 90 days and it was really intense and really terrible (laughs) and really traumatic and I'm laughing because I know the stories. You and, know the story. I mean, you I don't know, know what story. could be better than our podcast with a, a and a comedian than you telling some of these stories. To be oh god, and it really it is. You know, it was it's it was traumatic for me, but I worked for this woman. You don't have to don't say the name. Just you could just the story. There's, you know, obviously, oh, yeah, there's one yeah. story we're both thinking of. Yes. yes. Um. But I just want to preface this by saying that I really do my best. Health and wellness is important to me. I, you know, try my best not to eat gluten and, you know, paleo stuff, Mm -hmm. down with the keto, all those things. But I took a job working for a candy and snack broker company that would represent different candy and snack companies to get in to sell into convenience stores. Sounds like a great opportunity. Even that level of irony, (laughs) Uh I'm like, what am I doing? I hate candy (laughs) and I hate snacks. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, so, but I, my logic was taking the job. If I learn how to do this, if I learn how to sell to buyers, then I'll be able to work for a brand that I really believe in. Right. That was my kind of thought. I'll take this knowledge. Absolutely. To sell. Um, You know, that was like kind of my, my, my thought process there, which was flawed because (laughs) I, I hate candy and snacks. So I'm working for this company and it became very clear that there were no boundaries in the job, right? So I took a job and then we went to this candy and snack conference and this small company was, you know, it was a family kind of run company and everybody had been there for a while and I was new and trying to, you know, find my way get to the conference and we I learned that we and we check into the hotel and and I learned that we are going to be sharing hotel rooms and then I learned that everyone else is paired off and I am sharing a hotel room with my boss yes which is initially a little awkward but not the worst thing in the world you know initially when you think oh we're sharing a hotel room okay well yeah you're you're limiting you know and I'm like, okay, yeah. So and, I, and I've worked on, you know, political campaigns before. So I kind of, you know, I'm kind of have like a little bit more resilience to like, you know, weird, you know, just kind of roughing it. Yeah, and your your boss is, is a woman, so it's not like there was an older guy that like, oh yeah, I'm correct. Your boss. My correct. boss is a woman, yeah. and so you know, which you know didn't totally make it better. But um, <laughs> you know, so we check we check into the room, and I see one king bed there. <laughs> And I look at my boss and I'm like, uh, and she said, well, I guess they upgraded us to a suite. <laughs> so and kind I of am a... at this time in no financial position to drop the mic, 
to quit, to call the EEOC, to call for help. I didn't even know what to do. I just clutched the edge of that bed that evening. And that is really when the trauma began, honestly, Steve. Uh-huh. That was that's when it started. And so progressively things just got worse and worse after that with um, me spending 91 days one-on-one with my former ex-boss. We were, were in the car a lot. We were traveling. We we're sharing hotel rooms. She had no boundaries whatsoever. Was telling me all kinds of details about her personal life. It was very uncomfortable. I need alone time. <laughs> yes, yes. And I am an introvert and I am very independent. So for me to have this clingy, boundaryless ex-boss constantly with me at all times, it it was it was it was one of the most painful experiences I've ever I've ever been through. But as I was going through this experience, I would make notes to myself one day I will, I will do stand-up comedy and I will tell these stories and I will, you know, I will, I will make it out alive, you know? And we're making, we're making light, not, you know, not obviously making light of the situation of, you know, if you were genuinely in in danger or if this woman was, you know, making advances to you, you know, we're joking now because you've told me this story after the fact. Correct. Correct. But I would, I would try to sneak out of the room early, you know, at a conference to go to the gym and she'd be like, oh, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to the gym. She'd be like, oh, I'll come with you. Uh Uh-huh. Like I literally could not, could not get away. Yeah. Could not get away from her. It's weird because when you, I remember you telling me the story after was that her booking these single rooms with one bed, like she didn't think anything of it. She's like, oh, well, we're going to save money. And so, yeah, we'll get one bed. Yeah, we're going to save money. And I also think that she looked at me as like her friend slash her daughter Mm -hmm. slash maybe her lover. I don't know. (laughs) But I took a trip to Key West. Uh, for my birthday that year and that kind of like got me back on track and I was able to make it through ironically uh, our last trip together (laughs) we went to West Texas and I remember I had to bake cookies because they were selling cookies into into gas stations and I again hate cookies and I'm making these cookies and I'm literally like breaking down talking to my friend in Key West she's like Amanda hold on you know they're they're hiring new property managers like I'm gonna get you an interview you know and I just remember really surrendering and like really asking God for help in that moment, because I, I, I'm a very strong person. I'm a hard worker, but I physically didn't know that I could do that last four day trip or whatever it was to West Texas. So I called upon God to help me and really handed it over. And I just kind of like let go. I was like, she's going to, she's going to drive. I'm just going to go on for the ride. I really, you know, kind of let go and went to Abilene and San Angelo and then we went to Lubbock and then to uh, Amarillo and it was funny because when we're on our way to Amarillo we took a call from one of our other co-workers and and my ex-boss said you know we're on our way to Amarillo and he says well you know watch out for those cowboys right mm-hmm. so we both laugh haha you know because my ex-boss um you know was single and definitely you know was looking for some kind of rebound of some kind or whatever um so we go to this bar in Amarillo and it was um, kind of a like more fine dining kind of like Italian place at a nice bar and so we get some drinks and I'm talking to the bartender who is kind of high vibe he's got a man bun he you can tell he's like kind of hipped out you know he's got great energy so I'm talking to him and I just feel so amazing because I am talking to another human being other than my ex-boss who I literally spend 24 hours a day with for however many days like 90 days I've been with her so I'm so excited to have other human contact so the three of us are talking, which is really great. And then in walks the door, this like tall cowboy, right? 
tall hat and I'm looking at his hands to see if he's got rings, you know, and so then the four of us are talking and it's like really great. The other thing about my ex-boss is that she was a horrible customer at restaurants. There was always something wrong with the bill. She always complained. It was so embarrassing for me that she was just like, you know, it was just, it was terrible. It was mm. terrible to, to be around her. So the cowboy says, you know, well, do y'all want to go have a drink at my bar? I'm on route 66. And I was like, yes let's go because I was so starved of social interaction. And this was like a break for me because I knew I wasn't going to get a break any other way. If I just say, no, we go back to the room and I'm still stuck with my ex boss in the same bed. (laughs) So in the same bed, exactly. (laughs) So we go to, we go to his bar and you know, it's a Texas bar. So there's country music. And so I'm talking to the bartender and, and then I'm talking to the cowboy and my eyes get really wide. And I'm like, listen, I was like, I've been working. I was like, you only, you've only been around my ex boss for a couple hours now, but I've been doing this for 90 days. I was like, you know, I, you know, need a break. So the cowboy said, well, yeah, he's like, sounds like you need a break. Do you want to go see my rock quarry and my land? And I was like, yes, that sounds great. So I'm like, bye to my ex boss. We'll call her Susie. I was like, bye Susie. And we hopped in his truck and we're taking off down the road. Meanwhile, it's after midnight on a Tuesday, and we're headed off into wherever in Amarillo. And it occurs to me in that moment, I look up at the moon, and I'm like, what did you just do, Amanda? Isn't this how Dateline just, NBC always starts? You just jumped in a truck with a complete stranger, and you were going to a rock quarry and to see his land. Uh-huh. I was like, my next thought was, I literally could be raped or murdered. But then my next thought after that was, but at least I'm away from Susie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I was ready to roll the dice. Oh, you know, I was yeah. like, but at least, at least I'm away from her. Oof. Well, thankfully it has a happy ending, this story. Thankfully it has yeah. a happy ending. I did not get raped or murdered. Um, and the, um, the cowboy turned out to be a wonderful gentleman who really helped me at a time that I was, I, I had forgotten that people in life enjoy their lives. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten that people had jo- like enjoyed their lives. Like I met the cowboy and he would, you know, he put in storm shelters for his family's company and he would get a michelada and he would go for tacos. And he just kind of was just jolly and happy all day, every day. And just being around him in that energy, I was like, I'd forgot, I forgot. I forgot that people enjoy their lives. And so I'm eternally grateful for him. He definitely helped me on my way um, out of that job and um, was, a, I, I still talk to him to this day. He's writes country music. And, oh, that's fantastic. You know, is, yeah, he's amazing. He's a great guy. You know, um, I could have been an Amarillo princess, but I, <laughs> I, I wanted to come back to Key West. Uh, so closing the circle. So you got back to Key West and got for a while you worked for uh, the property management company and then you, yep. you jumped into stand up. And I started doing stand-up comedy because I was telling my supervisor at the time kind of my story of how I came back to Key West. We uh, had a stressful day. I was training. You know, some of the other coworkers were on vacation, so we were covering, and it was kind of a stressful time. So we went. She's like, let's go to Don's. We'll get a drink, which was really great. I start to begin to tell her the story, but we keep getting interrupted. And I'd heard of this comedy club getting started, and I was like, you know, Shannon, I was like, I want to tell this story you know, the right way on stage and do comedy. So I think that there was a reason that I was getting interrupted and couldn't tell her the story. And so I ended up, I ended up signing up and doing uh, stand up at comedy key West at the time, which was at the, at the, um, the bottle cap, which is a local bar. Yeah. Was that your first ever stand up? 
Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's going through in her head? And they were like, when they're saying, hey, and please welcome Amanda Anderson. Like, I mean, I definitely was so nervous. I, I definitely, I, I, you know, I worked on my set. I called some other friends that I have that do stand up and kind of got some consulting advice and ran through my set and, you know, kind of got some tips and tricks and stuff. Um, but I rehearsed it over and over again. And I just was, I felt great afterwards because I was able to kind of, you know, release the Susie files and <laughs> tell this story and people, you know, laughed and, and it was a way to, to kind of let it go. So I felt good about it. When you, you still do stand up to the, I mean, this is years later, you're still doing shows. Yeah, I mean, this is I'll... years later. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's kind of doing it more regularly there, um, but they have real, we have real headliners that come down and perform. And so the, the scene has grown. Um, Comedy QS has, has moved locations because of the shutdown. So they have their, their own space just dedicated to comedy. I was doing comedy pretty regularly there for a while. Like once a week I would get on stage and invite my friends and stuff. And then I, took a break when I changed jobs and kind of went through some personal things and focused more on work or things like that. But I, and then during then COVID happened, right? So that was a big, you know, gap. Yeah. They actually put a roadblock up on US one. So you couldn't, you couldn't enter the keys or travel to Key West without a, you know, a license or resident proof of residency or proof of work. Could you exit so, Key West? You could exit, like you could go to Miami, but you had to make sure you had your paperwork in order to like come back in to the island. Like if you didn't have your driver's license or whatever to say that I'm a resident, I live here, they had a roadblock. I mean, and you know, they, you you weren't getting in. When you Mm -hmm. put together a set for your, your show, how long is a a typical Mm -hmm. set for you? Is it 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? So, so for the, um, the shows that Comedy QS, they typically say, you know, five to seven minutes. But I did a I did a ten to fifteen minute set when I was at the QS Theater. I did a show with uh, Kathy Gilmore, Gwen Filosa, and Aubrey Urban, which Kathy Gilmore kind of puts together shows sometimes, and she'll do fundraisers and things like that. She's definitely big into comedy, um, so I was grateful to be included in that show. What goes into putting a set together? You know, are you do you constantly flipping through the news and you have a notepad next to you? What do you What are you drawing from? Yeah, so my I mean my comedy draws from my personal experience and things that I think are funny, things that I want to make fun of and things that are painful to me, you know, things that trauma really, you know? So I, I went to an open mic and kind of, it's a, it's a process to kind of, you know, do stand up. you know, it's not, it's not glamorous and it's not pain-free. Like there's definitely a lot of like pain that is involved in doing stand up comedy, um, but just part of the process, but you kind of learn to accept that and you learn, what you know what things you say gets gets laughs you learn how to you know you know edit things so that you get to the funny part quicker you know and you just kind of become more confident about it and you get some jokes and you do them over and over again and then they they just get better and better the more you do them when you're doing consistently how often would you do it every week every other week yeah i was was up every week for i would say yeah maybe like five five six months or so so every week for five or six months you're going, is it every, you know, every Thursday or something? Are you doing the same yeah, it was, sets it, or? Count? I personally am always writing and I'm always, obviously some jokes stay and it kind of depends on the time too of what I'm feeling, so mm-hmm. to speak, or what I want to work on. Like, you know, I'll, you know, if you want to test out a new joke, you kind of put it in between jokes that you know are going to work. So you can kind of test that out. So you're not kind of left hanging there. Okay. Um, so you can kind of play with material that way. 
and there are some jokes that I don't really want to do anymore. You know, I don't really, I don't want to tell the Susie files anymore, which <laughs> I mean, I could, and I probably should, you know, and then there's, there's some things that you write and then I don't know, you, you, you know, you want to like keep, I, I personally want to keep challenging myself to make new premises and, and keep writing and to be, and to have it be unique to me. You know, I think in comedy, I hate to say it and I hate to see it that some comics will steal other people's bits or they'll go online and just, you know, regurgitate a funny meme or whatever. And I just think that that doesn't really serve the comedy community very well. And it doesn't, you know, you got to have integrity with what you're doing. And as an art and an artist, you want to create something that, you know, is original to your experience. When it comes to comedy, because there's a couple con comedians that I follow and they talk all about the, the cancel culture. And oh, you know, everyone's, you know, every comedians have an exception, except when Twitter goes crazy, and then that comedian is blackballed, and that comedian is right. blackballed. What do you make of all that? You know, it's how, ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, it. We're, comedians are there for a reason. We, you know, should have free speech. It's a joke. Like if we can't take jokes anymore, our civilization is at risk. Like we have, we as a human, as a human species, have to be able to laugh at ourselves. You have to be able to laugh at yourself and it's okay to make fun of things and people life and freedom. Is there any joke that you've heard or maybe you yourself, you have considered that you would not cross that line for? Is there anything that you think, even what you just said is off limits? Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's gotta be funny. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. If it's funny, it will fly. Right. If it's funny, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say. It's, It's gotta be funny though. But I think some some comedians or some people may try to like, you know, have an agenda with their what they're trying to say or they're pushing agenda. Right. And it's not funny. So it doesn't work. I personally do not want to talk politics at all because you don't know who is in the audience. And the point is to make people laugh, not to push an agenda. Now, if you want to make fun of something that, you know, if it's funny, then then go for it. It just becomes to a point where it's not funny anymore. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's saying it. It's it's just like it becomes. Is it like a, lazy? An eye roll. You know, lazy joke writing. La- lazy, yeah, lazy and unoriginal and not are you know not honoring the the art and the craft mm-hmm. and the integrity of it. Do you have a uh, a favorite comedian or maybe a comedian that's under the radar that I should know more about? Oh, I have so many favorite comedians, um, but I really like Gary Goldman. I love Gary Goldman. He's got a HBO special called The Great Depression, where he gets really vulnerable about his struggle with depression, which I really appreciate it. I also love Neil Brennan, who uh, was the co-writer to The Chappelle Show. Yes, yes, yes. And is Dave Chappelle's like right-hand man. I love Neil Brennan, and he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's got a Netflix special, Three Mics, that I love. Mitch Hedberg, he's no longer with us, but I love Mitch Hedberg. He had some great one-liners. Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan, Jerry Seinfeld, um, you know, all the big names. I've been on a yeah. a recent Anthony Jeselnik kick. Yeah, he's dark. He is he's super dark. dark. He's dark. And he's, he's dark. I feel good. like that sense of humor, though, resonates. That slow burn. Yeah. Like it's very, you know, like one of his jokes and, you know, I don't know having his timing always is like, did you know the average person swallows seven spiders? Dot, dot, dot. And everyone thinks like, oh, when you're sleeping, because that's the old, like, old wives' tales. Like, oh, the average mm-hmm. person's, the average person swallows seven spiders mm. every time I cook for them. 
Mm-hmm. And it's ah. just like it's just a very it's and then the audience is like oh okay like all of his jokes are like very slow burn and then like oh, I get it I get it very yeah, dark though he's yeah. had some dark dark, dark humor yeah Amanda thank so, you so much for chatting with me today Steve it's been a pleasure and an honor um, thank you for being such a great friend Amanda Anderson budding uh, comedian future future comedy star yeah. maybe current comedy star but bigger comedy yeah. star and I, I would i would say follow um follow comedy key west comedy Instagram key west Facebook. you can find me there comedy key west absolutely yeah. amanda thank you so much for being with me i enjoyed talking with you likewise thank you steve mm-hmm.